Hola Tucson, thank you for joining us for the No Tucson podcast with City of Tucson Ward 1 Council Member Lane Santa Cruz. Hola, hi everyone. And their co-host Liz Soltero. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. We started the podcast in response to our daily fight against COVID-19 as another means of outreach and sharing, being in conversation and dialogue around uh, resources and, and how our community is fighting against COVID. Uh, we're going to be focusing today on small businesses and the impact that COVID-19 is having and, um, and finishing off with moments of joy. Today we'll be talking to Benjamin Galaz, also known as Benny, the owner of BK's and El Berraco here in the city of Tucson. Benny comes to Tucson from Sonora. Uh, he went to Sunnyside High School and in his late teens, you know, started Baracarreta and started selling Sonoran hot dogs, one of the first locations here in the city of Tucson. Um, and I've appreciated the relationship that I've been able to cultivate with him over the last couple of years. And I'm always so in awe of his intelligence, his leadership, the way that he builds a lot of capacity and leadership in his own employees, because he believes that he believes in the health and the morale of his workers. So I'm, I'm thankful that he is taking the time to speak to us today. Pues buenos dias. Thank you so much, Benny, for joining us today. Um, it was important for us to highlight some of the stories of our business owners, especially in Ward 1. And I'm wondering if you can share with us a little bit about the impact that the closure has had on your business. Okay, uh, thanks for the invitation. So um, I own uh, BK Tacos and I own uh, El Berraco. So after this pandemic, after receiving the, the order to close down to the public, we took the decision to close down uh, El Berraco Seafood Restaurant. We only are working with uh, both BKs, the one on South 12th Avenue and the one on First Avenue. So we sent uh, home 120 of our employees. So we are only working with less than 50 employees right now. We're taking the decision that we're gonna send another eight person home. The thing is we're not selling enough so we can keep everyone getting paid. So some of the employees, they took the decision for us because they saw that we're having a hard time because we, we didn't, we haven't received any uh, help from SBA loans. So on the 6th of uh, this month, we applied for the SBA PPP loan, and we did it through Chase because that's where we bank. And they call us right away, and they tell us that we were first on the list. We sent all the documents that they asked for. We sent everything the same day, and we haven't received anything. We also applied for... SBA disaster for both BK and El Berraco, and we didn't receive anything either. You know, I was thinking, you know, maybe it's normal that, uh, you know, it takes that long to approve those kind of loans. And the thing is, I've been talking to some of my friends that have business in the South Side, especially Hispanic people, and no one has received any help from SBA. So I spoke with two friends. One is... Uh, from uh, Pueblo Vida uh, Brewery downtown, and another one, he owns a real estate company, and they both applied, I think it was like Tuesday, 
and they receive the money two days after applying. The thing is, uh, they're not Hispanic. They receive the money right away. They receive uh, the disaster, I think $1,000 per employee, and like three days later after applying. You know, it feels hard because I think we'll, we'll work really hard. We all pay uh, taxes, we all pay loans, interest, and you see other businesses that they are receiving help and we don't. I've been calling Chase every day, I've been sending emails every day, and we received the same uh, answer, that they are waiting for S the approval from SBA. Yesterday, I sent a couple uh, text messages, emails to different persons at uh, Chase, and uh, yesterday night, I received an email from one of our people that work with us at Chase and telling us that SBA just reopened uh, internet portal so our application went through until yesterday and they submit our application with another 15,000 applications from Chase so I don't know why they submit the application until yesterday but that's what they tell us so last week uh, I hear that city of Tucson was they passed I think uh, 1.5 million to help small businesses and they were going to help with some kind of loan uh, with low interest. And I was thinking, you know, maybe that's gonna be a good idea to apply. So I start calling and they give us the contact name from someone from that uh, organization that City of Tucson shoes uh, to process those loans. So we call them and they said, oh, you know, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't have anything about that. So they were trying to send us to another bank because, you know, I don't know why. So until we start sending messages, uh, emails, and calling Lane and calling Regina, uh, finally we spoke with this uh, gentleman, and he told me that they didn't have an application ready, but there was a lot of people in line already, and it was going to be really hard for us to get a loan because there was already people waiting for that. And I said, it's fine, you know, I will submit that application. So. How can we apply? I got all the paperwork ready because we just did the PPP loan and we got all the paperwork. And uh, they told me to use the same application from SBA, the PPP loan. And I did what they told me to do. So I sent all the paperwork to them. And we sent the application Thursday and we didn't receive nothing back. So we sent them an email Friday and they answer back on Saturday, telling us that we were not qualified for help from City of Tucson. And they recommend us to go and apply for the SBA PPP loan. And we asked them why we're not qualified if you know we have all the paperwork. And they never they never give us a answer back. So uh, checking on their website Sunday, I saw that now they have a application for that loan. And when I saw the, the application, I saw a 17 pages application, even harder than the one from SBA. And I was thinking, you know, they want to know about my personal finance. They want to know what kind of car I drive. They want to know what school I went. They want to know if I went to the military. They want to know if I'm Hispanic. They want to know if uh, the people that work with me in the office, if the, what kind of car they drive. 
they want to know their personal finance. They want to know, uh, they want to see a business plan on what we're going to do with the money. They want to know so many things that I do have everything and I already did fill up the application right away and send it to them. But I'm 100% sure none of the small business on the south side, I, I don't think they will be able to fill a application like that. I think that's like too much. And it's really hard to, to get a, a SBA loan. Uh, but uh, the thing is, I already have a CPA working full time for us. We already have uh, two bookkeepers. So, so we have an office because we have uh, 150 employees. So we can afford that. But if you, if, if you are a business with 10 employees, it's really hard to have a CPA because that costs a lot of money. And I think, you know, I, I spoke with another friend like uh, Bruno Barra. He owns El Mesquite Event Center and he saw the application and he said, there's no way I can, you know, fill that application, especially if there's only that amount of money and there's a line waiting. I think it was designed that application for us not qualified. I see. That's, that's how I feel. Yeah. And um, on our end, it's been like highlighting all the gaps in how we fail our community businesses on the South side, you know, like just the small mom and pop, like restaurants or the hair salons, you know, all the ways that we know folks in our community work, you know? So mm -hmm. with that, Benny, going back to this city resiliency fund and the loan for the small businesses, but what are some of your recommendations or your suggestions to me and the city management of what, what this process needs to look like for small businesses like yours? You know, I don't know what was the idea of that money. At the first, I was thinking is to help those businesses to stay alive and to stay open. And that was my understanding. But when I saw that they give that responsibility to a nonprofit organization, where they don't speak Spanish and where, I don't want to say it, but I think they don't care about Spanish people. I, I think, you know, that, that's not going to work for us. And, and the thing is, if they, if they really want to help, they should have someone that at least speak English, Spanish, and know that area. And I don't know why they give the money to a nonprofit organization. They are going to charge for every loan they process. Let's say if I apply, even if they don't approve my, my application, they will charge that they submit one application. And I don't know how this worked. I don't know how, what was the deal with them. And I don't know what was the process to choose that uh, nonprofit organization. But I think, you know, instead of going like just with one organization, I think it will be better to try at least two so that way, City of Tucson can see who's doing better or who's doing quicker and why such a long application, you know, for that amount of loan. You know, if I, if I want to make an a application like that to apply for that, it's going to take some time. After we apply, we're going to receive an email that we don't qualify. So it's kind of like... I think uh, they need more help and they need someone that speaks Spanish. And that's so 
that's so important that you're pointing out because yeah, there are these gaps in like access, or access to these loans or these, you know, opportunities like that. Those are the things that we need to keep in mind as we move forward about how we're going to really help our small businesses come out of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Just a quick question, too. I know, right, we're in the midst of it. Is it too early to ask what you're thinking about in terms of what you're going to need or, you know, once the stay-at-home ban gets lifted, how you're going to bring back employees? Just wanted to hear your thoughts, if you've gotten there, on what that might look like. As soon as we receive the, the order to open to the public, I don't think we're going to be able to bring 100% of the customers that we used to bring into the building. So I think we're going to be able to bring in like 50%. So we already know that 50% of our sales are gone because of the space that we have to stay like six feet away from another table. That's going to be our first thing. So we have to invest more in curbside delivery and drive-through. So we have to optimize the way that we process takeouts and how we're gonna uh, pack all the food to go because uh, we were in the process of uh, getting rid of styrofoam and plastic and we start using like uh, eco-friendly pack packs. The thing is those things are more expensive and meat went up like Right now, it's like 70% higher than two months ago. And behind that, we had a minimum wage increase of 30% in the, in the past three years. So we haven't changed prices for more than three years. So imagine we don't have sales and we are buying everything more expensive and we already have another dollar add to the minimum wage so we have to uh, change prices and when you change prices you have to pay graphic designer you have to to reprint menus now we're not going to be able to have menus so we have to print disposable menus so right now we are investing in graphic design and printing everything like the drive-through signs so it's There are so many things that we have to invest on before we open. And and so I don't know how customers are gonna take that because price is going up. And, you know, I'm pretty sure some of them, they already are having uh, problems with uh, money. And if they have to pay 25 or 30% more, so it's gonna be hard for us. So I don't know if we're going to be able to bring 100% of our employees back, but we are working hard for that. Thank you, Benny. Um, a couple of weeks ago, you had, you called me and let me know that you were going to be serving hot dogs to the workers at St. Mary's Hospital. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to do that? Uh, first, that I don't know. I, I start thinking, you know, how hard it was having to work at an emergency at the hospital and having to, to go to work every day and have kids at home and put the whole family in risk because you have to work. And even knowing that they go to work every day, you know, 
I don't I don't see employees from hospitals uh, staying at home. So because my my dad was at the hospital and I asked and I started talking to them, you know, so what's going to happen for you guys? Are you guys staying home or are you guys no? We are working, you know, we that's our profession and we have to work. So I start thinking, you know, it, you know, we have to uh, show them how much we appreciate what they are doing for the whole community. I just want to express our thank you. Thank you so much for continuing to show up in our community and for your leadership and for the relationships that you're fostering with the other small business owners and, and the ways in which that you're advocating. So just really appreciate your time um, and the ways that you've shared and how you take care of your employees too. And you all are familia. And so thank you. Oh, thank you very much. You know, my pleasure. Pues muchísimas gracias, Benny. I appreciate the time. Thank you very much to, to all of you and, and have a wonderful day. God bless you. So, Lane, as we think about like some of the funds he was referring to was the Somos Unos Resiliency Fund, the small loan program. And he didn't mention it, but but he was referring to the Business Development Finance Corporation. Yeah, yeah we heard back right away around the, the frustrations when our folks have applied during this time. And we don't know anybody that actually got that funding or that loan. And so we've been like, hang tight, the city's going to open up another pot of money for y'all. And we're going to be looking out and making sure that the language is inclusive of a lot of these small businesses. A lot of these businesses sometimes don't have don't have bank accounts or any of that, but that we would kind of support them through that. And then it comes to find out before this funding, this application was even available to the public that there were already 37 businesses in line that the CDFC had, that they were ready to process them as soon as that money became available. So that already felt like an unfair advantage to a lot of the businesses that we want to be able to support. Because then how is there any assurance that you're going to get money when you already, you know, start at a disadvantage? And then they were using their own guidelines of how they process loans that were different from the ones we wanted. So what we found out is that salons, like hair salons, that is just one person, you know, who owns the salon and works there, were getting kicked off the application because they didn't have employees. When the language in our application was that if you were a sole proprietor, you were able to apply for these funds. So even to get through the screening process to get in line, a lot of our folks couldn't even get through that piece of it. And then once the application went live, it was a 17-page application that had questions like they want resumes for all of their employees. They want, like Benny was saying, like information on the kinds of cars people drive. They had essay questions on how have they been impacted and then what is their business plan for recovering after this. So I think that we know a lot of our folks are not going to be able to even fill that out. And then when you do have people like Benny from BK's who filled out the application, you know, who did all of it because they have the experience. They've been in business for over 30 years. Benny is this intelligent business person that cares a lot about our community that then he even gets rejected. So at every point, you're just like pulling your hair of like, we, we meant so well in putting these funds for our community, but then the mechanism that this gets 
rolled out is so full of inequities. The worst part, too, is how white supremacy is so entrenched in how we operate in the city that it's not even visible. They can't see why we're frustrated about every single step. What are you thinking going forward? Like as we tackle the bureaucracy, the system, trying to make sure that we are holding the city accountable, that we are being more inclusive. What are some of your thoughts long term about this? So before, you know, I came into this position, I had been pushing for the city to have an office of equity and accountability um, because there's so many, there's so many instances where this happens, you know, in just the bureaucracy of the city and then also how we put contracts together and how we provide services to the community. So that had been a conversation that we know the city manager was thinking about hiring a person to like kind of do that work. But I think the injustices inequities are everywhere in the infrastructure of how the city operates. I feel like you need an office. You need a team of people who are doing and engaging in this work every single day. I will just echo beyond the office that it's a shift for our city and how we do business that we are all looking through that lens and that it get layered throughout our HR practices in all the ways that we're doing business and serving and being here for our community. I feel like that we also are going to need the support of the community to demand uh, an equity audit, especially of how we use the CARES fund monies to make sure that we're not exacerbating all the inequities that already exist, but that we're using this as an opportunity to do better for our communities here, especially on the south side and the west side. So we're finishing off with our moments of joy and super excited because April 30th is council member Santa Cruz's birthday. Um, Taurus. I'm a Taurus, but the reason why I always love my birthday or the date is because it's also El Dia del Niño. And I feel like that's always just made me connect and like celebrate the children in our lives. So I'm always excited for the 30th of April. So happy Born Day. It's just such a joy to get to be in relationship with you in the community and in this work. And for all that you do, we thank you and we see you too. And even though we're all social distancing and going through this, there's so much love being sent your way. So gracias. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for joining us today. If you don't know, now you know. Adios. See you next week. Bye.